Song of Solomon, chapter 2. We're going to um, preach a few weeks on the issue of justice and God's justice in the earth. And uh, I believe the Lord is positioning us in the house of prayer to participate with Him in the activity of justice being released in the earth. And uh, I am um, aware that it really is the way I said it. It's not uh, that we and our leadership team have strategized well and figured it out, and now we are poised to see justice happen. But really, we are in this place where I feel like God has moved us around and sovereignly positioned us to get in the way of his activities of justice being released in the earth. And I mentioned just a few minutes ago in, in Luke 18, and, and you just need to, you know, in your free time, put a circle and a star on that page in your Bible and, and take a real look at that parable there in the first eight verses of Luke 18 about crying out night and day until the Lord releases justice. And Jesus is teaching a parable there that men ought always to pray and not lose heart or not faint. He's calling uh, his believers, his followers, to be alive in God and have hearts that are alive and crying out as communities night and day because the, the idea of the parable is this. He goes, uh, just like this, this uh, widow, she cried out to an unjust judge and, and, and he brought justice. He goes, how much more? Those that, that are the children of God, those that are uh, the people of God, if we cry out night and day, how much more the God of justice, he's not an unjust judge, he's the God of justice, how much more when we cry out night and day will God uh, bring justice in the earth? And, and Jesus' commentary says, I tell you, he will bring it speedily. He will bring justice speedily, with aggression is the idea. He will bring the activity of the justice of heaven on the earth with aggressive measures. And so I am one that I want to be in God's activities in the earth. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. I, um, you know, I, I appreciate and have studied all of the testimony, not all of them, but many of the testimonies of saints from history and revivalists from times in the past. And, and those testimonies and, and, uh, of the revivalists, they encourage my heart. But they've also gotten me to this place where I'm wounded, and I want to be one that's right in the middle of the activity of God in my generation. Amen. I don't think if we gave an altar call and I said, how many want to be on the outside looking in at whatever God's doing in the earth? Just come on down. I don't think anybody would answer that. And I think we all want to be involved in what God's doing in the earth. Uh, I remember one time when I was speaking to a friend, and, and he was an unbeliever, and I'd gotten saved, and, and I was in college, and, and my friend was, you know, he, he didn't know the Lord, and I just said, listen, listen, I go, if God, if, just, just, let's just assume for a minute, if God is real, if he's real, he goes, uh-huh, I go, just be honest with me, if God's real, wouldn't you want to know him? I mean, the unbeliever, totally away from God, no interest in God. He, and I go, to be honest, if he's real, let's just imagine that he is for a minute, wouldn't you want to know him? And he goes, well, of course. And how much more, we who know the Lord, we who are believers, 
How much more do we want to be right in the middle of what God's doing? But so many times we just kind of go, yeah, you know, I'm just I'm being a good person. We just kind of move along through our Christianity without actually engaging our faith in the activity of what the Lord's doing. But you know what? The Lord is so kind, and this is the way I feel. I feel like he's been so kind to me that he has just subtly moved me and positioned me into what he's doing. And I call that having an acute case of bumbleitis. You just sort of bumble into the will of the Lord in the earth. I also call it, you know, magooing into a thing. Do you remember Magoo? He had those big old Coke bottle glasses and he would just sort of stumble around and somehow he would stumble under the ladder and the paint would fall right next to him but not on him. And he would, you know, walk over the manhole just as the guy lowered the cap and he wouldn't, he would always stay out of just, uh, out of, uh, uh, he would stay out of justice. No, no, he would, he would always stay out of the, uh, the predicament and somehow end up just right where he needed to be. And I feel like that about how the Lord directs us. And I think Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 6, it gives us that picture. And that's what I want to sort of, I want to paint a picture this morning of where the Lord's taken us. This is a little bit more of a prophetic message about where we are in the house of prayer. But it says this in verse 6, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. It says, his left hand is under my head. And his right hand embraces me. His left hand is under my head. And his right hand embraces me. And she's, she's crying out in verse 5. She's saying, feed me, sustain me, enrich me with love. I want to know your love. And there's uh, perhaps a time period that passes between verse 5 and verse 6. So she's saying, I want to be sustained and refreshed and alive in love. And in verse 6, a little bit, the light bulb goes on for her. She goes, his left hand is behind my head, and his right hand is holding me. It's embracing me. The right hand activities of God are the inbreakings of God's power and his manifestation in our lives. That's what the right handed activities of God are. The left hand, they're, they're the things, that, the right hand is the stuff that we can tell. Well, that was totally God. You know, I mean, God broke in, and man, one minute I was totally sick, and something hit me and man I'm totally healed God broke in you know you uh you know you need the exact amount of money you know to get the bill paid on the exact date and someone walks up to you who doesn't know you and they hand you you know the exact money you go okay that's clearly the Lord you know nobody knew but something happened and and God moved and those are the right-handed activities of God. When God does it, and he does it right in front of your face, and he holds you and upholds you, and you can totally tell that God is doing you know, his work in your life. Well, the left hand is different because the left hand is behind your head. And the left-hand activities of God are when God is moving on your behalf, but you're not aware of it. It's when God is gently directing you and guiding you. And he's, he's gently moving you here and gently turning you there. And, and he is holding back things that you don't even want to know about because if they hit your life, it would be devastating. And he's releasing things that who knows how that happened, but it ended up really, really, really good. And it's his left hand guiding us. And see, I think so often we look for the power encounter of heaven and we, we want God to break in with mighty acts and miracles and wonders. And I do. I want those. But what we'll do is we'll look for the mighty break in of God and we'll discount his left hand moving us, gently leading us and tenderly guiding us. And we won't comprehend how essential the left hand of God is in our lives. And I look at, 
at my life and I go, man, Lord, there have been so many times you led me with your left hand. In fact, I think predominantly the way that God leads is the left hand. It's out of sight. It's behind your head. You don't know what he's doing, but he's leading. See, we tend to interpret God's silence or, or the lack of the sense of the presence of God on us. We will tend to interpret that as God's not doing anything. But the truth of the matter is, he's always doing something. He's always leading. He's always instructing. He's always guiding. You know, I, I think of it this way. I don't know how many car wrecks that I didn't get in because of God's left hand. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know how many major life-changing negative events that haven't happened to me because of God's left hand. And I, don't, I can't comprehend the favor and the grace that's been shown to me because it's come through his left hand. And I never noticed when it was happening. And this is the way I do the math. I'll, you know, go through life and go, go along a little while. And then I'll realize, I'll turn around and I'll go, how did I get here? I don't have a clue. But God has clearly brought me here. And if I try to recall all the steps it took to get me to this place, there's no way you could make it up. You know what I'm saying? It's God's left hand gently moving you, guiding you, gives you a few little breadcrumbs there. You go, okay. And he just gently moves you along. The one verse on the one day, you know, it matches the date. And you go, he's speaking somehow. And you do the thing. And the next time, and God takes you down these wonderful journeys of discovery. And he just, when you get up at the end of the thing, you turn around and you look, you go, how did this happen? His left hand. His left hand. And I look at our, uh, I look at where we are in the house of prayer right now. I look at where IHOP is, and I go, man, this is clearly God has moved us around with His left hand so much. Um, I was just in a little uh, southern town in Georgia, and they they got a little house of prayer going, and they're praying about twelve hours a week, and twenty four seven is one hundred and sixty eight hours, so they're going twelve hours a week. And I, and I was talking to the people there, and I was encouraging them. I said, listen, 12 hours a week is phenomenal. I said, there's probably no megachurches around here that are praying 12 hours a week. You guys have 100 people in your little church, and you're going 12 hours a week. Way to go. I said, this is amazing. And I started telling them about the global prayer movement and the mosaic of prayer that God's bubbling up all over the planet. And I'm explaining these things to them, and they're looking at me like, you mean it really counts? And I'm like, totally counts. And then I started talking to them how about how they got into it. And they were asking me questions like, why are we praying? And I said, it's clearly his left hand. It's clearly his left hand. And he has moved you and guided you right into the center of his outbreak in the earth and the release of justice that he's scheduling for the planet. Do you know there is a day that God has scheduled the release of justice? He's scheduled the release. It's on his calendar. Appointed times and seasons. You know, we use the term kairos moments. In God's calendar, times that he's scheduled the release of justice. Never a minute late. So with that in mind, with the left hand of God in mind, I want to pray for a moment. I want to ask the Lord to come and release uh, uh, 
really confirmation in our hearts to, to where he is leading us and where he's taking us. Lord, we love you. We love you this morning. We thank you for the word of the Lord. And I'm asking that you would speak even more powerfully, even this morning. I pray you'd resonate in our hearts. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, come. Come. Like an arrow, pierce us through. Come. I pray for the anointing of God to be released in this room. Lord, I need you. I need you to stand and hold my hand. I need you to speak. Thunder with your majestic voice. Now, God, I'm asking, release your presence. Open up the word. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Lord, we thank you for where you've taken us, where you've brought us from and where you're taking us to. Thank you for the house of prayer. Thank you for the house of prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Good. In Jesus' name, everybody that agreed said amen. Okay, good. Find with me Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30. It's a little verse in Isaiah 30 that gives us a principle. Still talking about God's leadership, but it gives us a principle about the way God leads. And then I want to I take this verse and I want to build from it. And I want to explain how I feel like the Lord has led us. Because I, I, the more I look at it, the more I realize, uh, you know, we think we're controlling stuff. We think our hands are on the steering wheel. We think we are the captains of our own destiny. I promise you, he doesn't think that. (laughs) He knows that we've been bought by him with a price and that we're not our own. And uh, when we continue to say yes, saying yes to God is, it ends up with a relinquishing of your own plan and initializing, initiating of his plan in your life. And uh, the little yeses day to day, as you say yes in little ways day to day, it ends you up uh, in this place of having sovereign activity control your life. And I know that you can look back on areas where you go, wow, the Lord clearly has been directing me and guiding me. Some of the stuff that we go through, it's hard stuff. It's, It's the bread of adversity. But it's formative and powerful formative and powerful to our, to our inner man. And we need challenge to build strength in many ways. And, and none of us would say, let's see, bread of adversity or vacation. I want some bread of adversity, yeah. But the Lord will lead us right into that to build fortitude and might and maturity and strength internally, stuff we have to have. Because when other challenges come, We've been through the hard thing and we're able to stand. And so in Isaiah 30, there's so many little uh, nuggets in this chapter. I'll just give you the backdrop. What's going on is this. Hosea, not Hosea, Hosea is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, which is in Samaria. 
They have been not serving the Lord for about 150 plus years. They are about to get invaded by Assyria. In fact, it's, it's really happening as this prophecy is being given. And, and the Lord is explaining to them, if, if you had given yourself to me, I would have been able to get you out of the trouble. But because you have rejected me, therefore, massive judgment's coming on you. And then in the latter half of the chapter, he goes and explains, but here's what I want you to know. Even though major league judgment is coming on you, I am zealous for you. And I am in love with you. And I am going to bring about an ultimate victory and an ultimate blessing on your behalf, even though you've rejected me. And that's really what's happening in this chapter. And uh, there are so many little features, but that's the, the broad picture. And so in Isaiah 30, verse 21, he gives a future promise of, of the surety of God's leadership. That's what verse 21 is. It's a, it's a promise of God's, the surety of God's leadership. And he says this, your ears, they're going to hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. And he, he goes, the point God's making to them is this. The voice will speak from behind you. Before you even get to the place of having to make the decision, I will speak and tell you where you need to go. He's speaking this to a nation that's rejected his leadership. He goes, but this is the place I'm taking you into. I'm taking you into clarity and surety of my leadership in your life. The voice will speak before you even have to make the decision and tell you which way to go. And I look at this and I go, Lord, how often have I had to come up, you know, in giving leadership at the house of prayer or being in ministry and just in life, have I had to come up to the point of decision and I don't have a clue? Anybody ever been there? Don't have a clue on what you're supposed to do? I mean, hello. This is where I live every day. I just live here. I mean, this has become a very, very uh, comfortable place for me. Because so many things come at me, and I go, oh, I never thought of that. Don't have any idea about what that is, and don't, don't know what to do with that. And then the voice will speak. I'm not telling you that I hear aud- the audible voice of the Lord telling me what to do. But what will happen is this. The voice of the Lord will resonate what seems to be good. If I'll wait and not run ahead, I like that, that one psalm that says, don't be like the horse or don't be like the mule. The horse runs ahead and the mule will not go. We love to do the horse thing. Well, I don't know, but hey, bless God, i got to do something. And we go do it, and God's going, whoa, little buddy. I was going to tell you if you would have just settled down for a minute. But what will happen is this, we'll come up to the thing, and, and, and this is how it goes with me, and I will, I will be just, I can't go because I don't know what to do, and I've learned through doing something without the leading of the Lord enough, the wrong way, that that's not a good idea, and I've found out that I'm not a very good captain of my own destiny, I don't know how to do things well, so I better wait, and I mean, invariably, the Lord will give direction. The Lord will give direction. And then there's those times when you've got a time limit on something. You have to make a decision by such and such time. You get up to the thing and A and B both seem good and you just have to go with a good heart. You go, okay, Lord, I'm going with A unless you, you know, like stop me right now. And, and I just call that throwing it against the wall and see if it'll stick. 
And you know what? You just you throw it against the wall. You see if it'll stick. If it doesn't work, guess what you do? Humbly drop back and go do B. It's okay. Here's the point. We're basically all little guys, and we don't know, and we don't think the way he thinks. And once we get ahead of ourselves thinking, I can figure this out, I can strategize this, I can make this work, that's when we get in trouble. See, that's what's going on in the chapter. Israel, rather than trusting on the leadership of the Lord, they went and they paid off Egypt to protect them from Assyria. And what ended up happening? Assyria came and destroyed Israel. They thought they would figure out their own strategy and make it happen themselves. And I look at the way that God's led so often and I go, wow, how many times have we as a leadership team, have I personally in my life come up to the point of decision and been completely dumbfounded? No idea what to do and the voice speaks and the Lord leads. And I've just watched it time and time and time and time again where the decision just looks golden and you do it and man, it turns out beautiful. And you get on the other side and there's sort of the temptation to go, yeah, bless God, I pray a lot and I knew what to do and you know, God's blessing and favors on my life. But it's just really not like that because you get into the deal and you go, boy, I was clueless three minutes ago, but this is working. I mean, I'm, I'm smelling like a rose now. This is great. <laughs> because if you're aware that, hey, I didn't, I didn't have any clue on how to do this and the Lord drops it, the voice spoke from behind. And I think with us, in the house of prayer, it's even, it's even less like that. Like, you don't even, I almost don't even have cognizance that it's the voice speaking from behind. It's like, boy, we've got to make a decision. This one seems good. We do it. And then the Lord seems to kiss it so many times over and over and over. I'm thinking about the acquisition of this facility. I'm thinking about the build-out of the, of the, you know, the prayer room. I mean, we, we paid cash for the build-out of this prayer room, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars this and next door. I mean, we paid cash for it. How did we do that? We're a tiny little ministry with not tons of income streams. I mean, just, just minimal. And, and God does it, and we pay cash for it. We, we, we purchased this, this beautiful camp. I mean, and, and we ended up getting it for, I mean, just a, a great deal. And then we have partners come alongside and they end up paying the mortgage for us for a couple of years. Like, how'd that work? I guarantee it wasn't because I had a good strategy. I promise you. The strategy was, well, the Lord's not saying anything, so don't do anything dumb. Like, make sure you don't get yourself in crazy, stupid debt. Like, hang on. And I remember the day I get the email and, it, you know, we have a prophetic number the Lord has used with us all for so long. It's 212. And the email comes in and it's time stamped 212. And I go, huh, maybe I should read it. And I go, Ew, I don't want to do that. And I go, well, maybe we can go check it out. And, and so I schedule real quick an appointment to go check it out. And we go and we walk around the facility. And I mean, I'm going, oh, we're supposed to be here, man. Lord, this isn't where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be on Collins Hill. I wanted to be over on 29. And, uh, and then I, we get, we're getting ready to leave. And I go, hey, guys. Hey, what day is today? Oh, it's February 12th. What do you know? We're walking around the building on 212. And the Lord's resonating. This is the place. We step in, and it's amazing how he does. And he just over and over and over, the voice speaks from behind. But, I mean, I'm so dim, it's like, was that the Lord? And, and you know, on the, on the back end, you go, oh, sweet, it was, you know. And that's how he's led, continually. Uh, we, you know, haven't had any open visions, no angelic interventions that I'm aware of, I'm sure that they've happened, but he's continually led us from behind, mightily led us from behind. 
And, uh, and I look at how he, he's taken us and then steered us right into the issues that are the most near and dear to his heart. In other words, when we, when we plan like, okay, what are we going to do with IHOP? We didn't write down, man, we're going to get into this, 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 and this, and this social issue. We're, we're going to get into this, this, and this thing. We never thought of it that way. We just said, let's just pray and see what happens. And so what ends up happening is this. God gives us uh, Bound for Life in Atlanta. We're bound for life is a thing where people intercede against abortion. And the, and the Bound for Life crew ends up being staffed mostly by IHOPers from the House of Prayer. And, and we end up going down and standing in front of this abortion clinic that's been going for years and years and years, some 25 years, with red life tape over our mouths, asking God to shut it down. Watching little girls go in pregnant and come out not pregnant anymore crying and asking the God of justice to hear the cries of the unborn and to break in with power. And we have a little team. I mean, I, I went down there several times. We have a little team that was faithful. I mean, maybe six or eight people that were faithful Friday and, 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 and uh, Saturday, and they would hit it a couple times a month, just faithful, just sitting there, getting ridiculed. I mean, I remember the days, like, you know, I mean, I was down there several times where just the, the, the real radical, uh, aggressive, against you kind of people yelling all sorts of things and holding up negative signs about you, and you're just standing there just going, oh, God, have mercy, break in. Well, you know what? The abortion clinic that they targeted is shut down now. It's shut down. It's been around for tw- like 25 years. And they shut it. I mean, the Lord did, but it was the little... I think I'm doing the right thing. Standing out there, mouth closed, heart open, asking the Lord, shut it down. Well, now they're led to stand in front of the the Georgia legislature to shut it down in our state. You know what I think? I think the left hand of the Lord has moved us right in place. We're we're being positioned for justice. Then I remember when uh, the Lord, he... uh, he started gripping us over the uh, issue of human trafficking. And uh, we, we went into about a month of intense intercession over the issue of sex slave trade. And, and I remember when I preached on it in our encounter service, I mean, the place blows up with intercession. And we all get marked like that night. It seemed like the whole house gets marked with a burden to see human trafficking stopped. And, uh, and we come out of that season... And uh, there was some cool prophetic stuff. Like we were in this, this time of, of uh, you know, praying against human trafficking. And, and lo and behold, it's the Salvation Army has called a three-day uh, fast, a national fast for the overturn of human trafficking. At the, same, at the exact same dates, we didn't, have anything, we didn't even know anything about it. Left hand of God moving us right in. And uh, we, we had this leadership meeting on the, on the back of that. And we said, you know what we want? We want a house that... Uh, somebody with a degree will come and they'll live in the house and it'll be for girls who are rescued out of human trafficking and we'll get them delivered and we'll get them the psychological help they need and we'll get them, you know, education if we need to and we'll take care of them and we'll get them in a house of prayer and their hearts will be alive and love and they'll, they'll get free and maybe some of them will even come on staff and, and do IHOP and that's what, we, God, if you give us that, you know, we're not gonna make it happen, but God, if you'd give us that, we'll do it, we'll do that. And uh, at the same time, we don't even know anything about it. One of our staff is, having, is doing IHOP in the prayer room 40 hours a week and having visions of uh, girls in cages. And this is before we ever said anything about human trafficking. She's having visions of little girls being, being uh, 
um, abducted and all these negative things and held in, in cages and kidnapped and all this stuff. And she comes to realize when I, when I speak on human trafficking, it's the same week. That's what God's showing her, this vision of these, these children who are being, uh, you know, exploited. And God begins to root in her this vision for doing something, making a dent in human trafficking. And Well, the next thing you know, this, I mean, it's a long, long story, but now that staff person, now she's working uh, and she has leadership over four houses. And these houses are specifically dedicated to taking care of girls that are coming out of human trafficking. What do they want to do with them? They want to get them, you know, delivered. And they want to get them, you know, the psychological help they need. And they want to get them set free and serving God. And, and it's part of another ministry. And, you know, that ministry has already had several people come out of their ministry and come on staff with a house of prayer. And so, undoubtedly, these little girls that are going to go through these houses are going to end up in the house of prayer at different times. And that thing was birthed right out of the house of prayer. And do you know right now, we just, um, last week, week and a half ago, we just were able to prayer walk these houses and, and pray over them and ask the Lord to impact the little girls that are coming. And they're getting their first four girls that are getting ready to stay in these houses right now. Four 14-year-olds that have been um, in human trafficking and rescued out of human trafficking. That's happening right now. And I look at that and I go, man, how'd you do, like, that's so cool. I mean, because I really can't go, wow, we did so. I just go, you birthed that out of the prayer room. You birthed that and, and, and now it's happening. And these are just little things. You know, and, and these are justice issues. The, see, what happens is this. When you pray, you stumble into God's heart for justice. He is the God of justice, and he wants to bring justice in the earth. And I just look at these, these different areas. And, and I remember a couple years ago, the Lord giving me this idea about adoption, an adoption agency where you don't have to spend $25,000 to adopt a baby. Maybe we could do it and we could target kids that were going to be aborted and, and have this whole idea. And I, and I remember sharing with my brother and then I remember sharing it with a couple in Kansas City. And the couple in Kansas City goes, I they, they say this, they go, I can't believe that you're telling me this. And I said, why? And they said, because somebody just last week, a friend of ours from another state, told us the exact same vision with all the exact same points. You've got to be kidding me. It's the voice from behind just speaking. And, and now we're in a position right now where there's something brewing in the house of prayers that relates to adoption. And we are, we are toying, and it's not us, it's some, several that are involved here, and they're working with an inner city ministry, but we are working together to get adoptions happening for like, I mean, a fraction, fraction, a one hundredth of the cost that it would be to ordinarily adopt children. And that thing is happening in process right, even right now. And again, I look at that and I go, my God, you are leading us with your left hand. And you're leading us right into your heart. And Psalm 102 says this, that God stepped down and he looked on the earth. Why? To hear the cries of the prisoner. The groanings of those that are trapped. And, uh, and I realize, I go, man, Lord, the things that are near and dear to your heart, if we'll give ourselves, just say, yes, Lord. If we just say, yes, Lord, you'll sovereignly direct us right into the near and dear issues of your heart. You'll fall in love with the church. You'll fall in love with the poor of the earth. You'll have a vision for justice if you just say, yes, Lord, and say, what matters to you, Jesus? And I look at it and I say, man, that's where we're at right now. 
So look at verse 18 right there in Isaiah 30. The context of, I'm sorry, verse 18. The context of verse 18 is stunning. He's speaking specifically to a people who've been worshiping demons and calling it Jehovah for 150 years. That's who he's speaking to when he says verse 18. And he says this, The Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. I love the the other translations, NAS, NIV. He longs to be gracious to you. His word to the guy that's worshiping the demons and calling it Jehovah in the northern kingdom, what they had done is they had set up two high places where they were worshiping calves. It wasn't just you know Israel in the desert worshiping the calf. They were actually doing this for 150 years, the northern ten tribes, and they were calling it Jehovah. And the Lord says to that guy, the demon-worshiping guy, he goes, I'm going to wait for you because I long to be merciful to you. I'm burning to be merciful. Therefore, he, the Lord, will be exalted. He will have mercy on you. Why? For the Lord is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And blessed are all those who wait for him. The point of this, the point of this, and I've got to move a little faster, but the point of this is, is this. He goes, I am going to wage war at everything that's separating me and you. He goes, and the reason why is, because that's justice. And I am a God of justice. He goes, I'm going to come after every internal thing in your heart that's separating us. He goes, I'm going to bring justice. He goes, I'm going to come after every external thing, every activity of your life. I'm going to get rid of it. Why? Because I want relationship with you. And he goes, and that's justice. And he goes, and I am going to vindicate you. For, uh, 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 in, in, even in this instance, with every person, I'm going to vindicate you and bring retribution on all those that have, that have uh, turned their back on me in order to, to slay you. He goes, I'm going to even vindicate you with those people. Why? Because I'm a God of justice. And he wants to bring vindication to his people. He wants to bring destruction to everything that hinders love, internally and externally. He will wage war on everything that's in the way between you and him. I promise you, he's jealous. The attraction is fatal. Something will die. For real. And this is the way he does it. He goes, I'm a God of justice. He goes, I want to have mercy. And therefore, I will bring justice. I will, he goes, I'm going to lessen the gap between you and I. And he's even saying that to the demonized, demon worshiper guy. How much more is that the word to his church? To the bride. And I look at that and I go, wow. And he tie, the thing that's interesting in it is he ties the idea of the release of justice to the concept of waiting for the Lord. And I look at this and I go, God, I, I don't know how to strategize and lead. I don't know how to make decisions, but you do. In fact, when you lead and you tell us what to do, it's never what I would have come up with. It's totally different. I mean, I can come up and strategize and come up with plans all day. But when you lead, it's so other side of the ball. I never thought of that before, and it's always so good, even when it's challenging. And here's the deal. He goes, if you'll wait, I will bring about 
the desire and the intention of my heart in the earth, I will bring about justice. Here's the idea. God knows exactly when the time is. He knows exactly when to release justice. He knows exactly when to turn it all around. He knows exactly when to change the issue and stop the injustice and bring about justice. He knows how. Why? Because he is the God of justice. He is the God of justice. He won't let one injustice go. He won't let one person remain defrauded. He won't let one voice of an innocent go without bringing vindication. Because he's the God of justice. It's who he is. He goes, wait. And sometimes we get gripped over issues. Maybe it's the abortion issue. Maybe it's uh, human trafficking. Maybe it's same-sex marriage in, in California. And we get this cry going. We go, God, God, do something, God. And we get this plaintiff cry. As if we're asking God to do something that he doesn't want to do. I guarantee you, I promise you, his burden and pain over the issue of abortion or or sex trafficking is far more acute than anything you and I have ever touched. He is, I mean, so aggressive about wanting to get these things changed and turned. He goes, just wait. He goes, cry out to me and I'll move. He goes, just wait patiently. Why? Because I'm the God of justice. I long to bring mercy. See, he knows exactly when the time is. Now now flip just up a verse right there to verse 15. This is how it works. This is how it goes. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. He goes, in repentance and rest is your salvation. And in quietness and trust is your strength. And his word to them at that time, he goes, but you would not. You wouldn't. And he goes, so I have to bring judgment. But I still think that's his, that, th- he's calling them to intercession. That's what he's doing. He's calling them to intercession. He go, and he, right there he goes, cry out to me. He goes, and I'll answer, I promise. So he's calling them to intercession And he goes, here's the deal, in repentance or in returning and rest is salvation for you. And in quietness and in confidence is your strength. What's he trying to say? He goes, here's how this is built. My kingdom is always built on this, people turning to me. It's always built on people connecting with me completely. The more completely you connect with me, the more I am able to release my kingdom in you. He goes, so in returning and rest, you'll be saved. What's he mean? Justice will come. If you'll repent, turn to me, and rest. Trust that I'm the God that forgives sin. Trust that I'm the God of justice. I'm the God that doesn't leave one thing undone. I just want to say this. You know, people suffer abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. And they don't know how to get out of the cycle of pain and unforgiveness that they go through in abuse. I want to say this to you. If you've been abused, I promise you, he will not allow one abuse 
to go without vindication. He will not allow one to go without vindication. He's the God of justice. He goes, if you'll turn to me and rest, you can trust that I am going to bring, a, bring to pass my desired end. I will bring salvation, health, and healing. Because you must turn to me and you must rest. What we'll tend to do is we'll return to him and get frantic. We'll return to him and we'll get active and do a bunch of activism. And when it's not happening fast enough, we get impatient. And we return and we go, God, what's going on? And we get hopeless. Hopelessness is not faith. It sounds spiritual because you're crying out a lot. But a lot of times it's just the expression of hopelessness in your heart that you're you're sort of venting the pain of whatever it is not happening yet. Does that make sense? He goes, no, no, no. Turn to me. He goes, let's take inventory of you and trust as you are letting the kingdom come in you that I'm going to bring salvation. Trust it. And then he says this. In quietness and trust or confidence, I love that. In quietness and confidence is your strength. See, the the first word, rest, and then the second word, quietness, it's like a whole nother level of rest. It's like rest squared. He goes, no. He goes, I'm giving you the repentance and the introductory rest, but I'm really wanting you to get your hands off the wheel and allow me to to, to drive. He goes, because then you can be confident. Isn't it crazy how with our lives and even in our prayers and in the way we do God and live the kingdom and do Christianity, we think if my hand, we think this way, if my hands are on the wheel and I can make this happen, then I would do this. And we, we, have conf- we actually have confidence in that. And, and all of a sudden when we're not in control, we, we begin to lack confidence. Shouldn't it be the exact opposite way? Like if my hands are on the wheel, I'm dumb enough that I could wreck the car. Like, the best place for me to be is, like, in the back uh, seat asleep while the Lord is driving. Because otherwise, I know how to get myself into a mess. I spent 18 years proving to the world, myself, the angels, the demons, my parents, and everyone else that I know how to screw my life up gloriously. I don't really need to prove that anymore. I mean, I continue to prove it, but I, you know, one day I'm going to learn in real rest and quietness, there's confidence because I'm not driving. The last guy I want to drive my life should be me. He goes, there's salvation. If you'll return to me, there's salvation. It's, it's the first John 5. He goes, this is the confidence. If we ask him anything according to his will, we know he hears us. We know if he, if he hears us that we have the thing we've, which we've asked him for. See, that whole thing about returning to him and, and praying according to his will, that's, that's one in the same reality. If I'm returning to the Lord, if I'm turning to the Lord, guess what? I'm not asking him my thing. I'm going, what's on your heart? Do it as you would. We can have confidence then. So I, I think there's this idea that the Lord is trying to get across to us. This is where I feel right now. 
that if we will allow him to lead us, he's going to produce through us unique inbreakings of justice that we maybe aren't acquainted with or haven't seen. I think he's giving us, he's given us enough little breadcrumbs. He's given us, you know, the, the human trafficking homes and he's given us the little swirl on the adoption and he's over, he, you know, we shut down the abortion clinic and he's, he's draw, drawn us into his heart for the poor of the earth. I mean, we're sowing thousands. I mean, Haiti, we sow $1,000 right into orphans in Haiti. I mean, $1,000 every month right into orphans in Haiti that don't, that don't have any food at all. I'm like, how did that work? It was a swirl of the Lord that all of a sudden it's like, yeah, let's give him a thousand bucks a month. <laughs> let's do it. And, and, and this is the way we live. And the only way we got there was by the Lord speaking from behind and directing us with his left hand. And so let me tell you about what's, what, what I feel like the Lord is doing with a left-handed direction. When I, when I was at the call, now it sounds like I'm setting you up for a major thing, like a shifting of uh, direction for the house. I'm not. So let's just... Don't think that. I want to explain to you where I feel like the Lord's calling us to as a house. But when I was at the call in D.C., uh, of course, the call is a 12-hour prayer meeting. And it gets long. It was hot out there. Thank God we were in the shade. Praise the Lord for shade. It was was a long day. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been to the mall in D.C., you know it's a big, wide-open area. And people will be strolling and walking around everywhere. It's a challenging environment to have a good meeting because people are just kind of like, you know, walking around like whatever. And so to stay engaged with what was happening um, on the platform, if you weren't like right there in front, I mean, it was hard. And so I was going through that, you know, in my mind. I was like, okay, you know, some of this is good. I'm, some of this I'm getting bored. Some of this I'm like, okay, okay, get involved, you know, get, get, stay involved. So, you know, Lou carries the burden for the overturn of abortion probably like no one else in our nation and and i promise you we probably if if you didn't see the call and you weren't there we probably addressed the issue of the overturn of abortion five different times for about a half an hour each each time and by about the fifth time you know it's like okay okay (laughs) we prayed for this a lot already lou why are we doing this again? And, you know, we're praying. It's like every time we're, we're going to pray for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And, and now we're going to pray for the shutting down and a third seat in the Supreme Court. And, and now we're going to pray to reverse the decree of 73. It's like, well, didn't we just pray for that? But, so we, we're going to pray the fifth time. And it's going re, to be the reverse the decree of 73. And I've got a little bit of a bad attitude. I just do. I'm just sitting there kind of like, dude, I'm hot. We prayed for this a whole bunch. Let's pray for something else. And, uh, and so, I don't really, you know, Luke, is, let's get in small groups. So we get in small groups, and, and I don't really know, but the thing begins to bubble up inside me. I just begin to say, help God. Because it just, all of a sudden, it just resonates with me. There's no way the decree of 73 is going to turn around unless God helps. Unless God does it, Impossible. Because the way that the mind is and the, the, the corporate mindset in our nation is. And uh, there's so much politically correct language, it makes it sound like slaughtering babies in the womb is really just an okay thing. It's just, it's just you know, I mean, you, you, know, you can have a candidate say, oh, well, I, I'm not for abortion personally, but I want to protect everybody's right to be able to do that. What is that? 
I tell you, it's jacked up to sway the spirit of the age is what that is. All right. Get off my political moment. All right, so we're praying. We're going to pray for it. And I begin, I just, I mean, I'm like tired. I've got a little bad attitude. I didn't particularly like the speaker right before that. I'm just, I'm a little carnal at this moment. This is my point. I'm being a little carnal. Probably a lot carnal. And, I, and I'm, <laughs> we're going to pray for the reverse of the Creed 73. And I go, okay, God. And, and I just go, God, help. And it just bubbles out of me. Help, God, help. Help, God, help. And I'm yelling. And I'm sort of listening to myself yell. And I'm thinking, what is happening? And the next thing I know, I go into intense travail. And I am in real, real blood-curdling, bent-over, groaning and crying. And, I mean, just wailing travail. Now get it, 30 seconds earlier, I was very not spiritual, very unspiritual. And now I am like ripped in prayer and totally in travail, crying out for the ending of abortion and crying out for the the stopping of same-sex marriages in California. And this thing is piercing me. It's going through me. It's, it's, It's gripping me and possessing me. And I am wailing. Ah! And I'm aware that nobody around me is wailing. I'm aware that I'm the tip of the arrow on that. You know, nobody else is there with the same thing. And the ones that are close to me, they're like praying for me. Oh, God, help him. You know, trying to help me get through it. And, um, and it just, it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And, uh, and I start having, I start having impressions. Well, the Lord, he speaks to me through impressions mostly. I don't mostly see I don't, I haven't, I, I want to have many of them, angelic encounters and heavenly visitations. I haven't had any of those. Um, I had one audible voice in my life, but this wasn't that. This was the impression level. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they're on the platform and they're calling for a 40-day fast. They're calling for a 40-day fast in September to go right up to the elections. September 24th to November 2nd. And I'm like, um, and, and there's something in me. I go, yes, give us a 40-day fast. Now, some of you know, I just came off of a personal 40-day fast about a month ago. And I put it back on just as fast as I could. I didn't want to stay that lean. Praise the Lord. But, uh, and I'm saying, yes, I want that. I want that fast. And all of a sudden, I start getting this impression of, have you done everything you could do to partner with me to see abortion overturned in this generation? And I thought, no, mostly I've been sort of asleep and let the bound for lifers sort of carry the torch. And I really haven't jumped in heavy duty for this issue of abortion. Yet 4,000 a day are still being slaughtered in America every single day. It'll happen tomorrow. It'll happen Tuesday. It'll happen Wednesday. 4,000 babies, blood crying to the Lord for justice. The blood guilt flowing through our streets. And, I, and I, the question's in me. Have you done all that you could do in partnering with my heart? Over the, for the issue of the overturn of abortion. And I, and I mean, I know the answer is no. I know it's no. I mean, I lead a prayer movement, you know, in Atlanta. I lead the prayer room here. And, and I know the answer is no. And then, so I'm gripped with this. And then I get the, 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 the uh, memory of this prophetic word that I'd heard about uh, President Bush being a burning bush and before he was elected. And that in the second part Second half of his second term, and this is like an eight-year-old prophecy, he would do more to see abortion stopped and overturned in our country than any other president ever. 
And all of a sudden, I begin to realize, you know, we need a third seat. We need another justice in the Supreme Court. We need that to happen for if, if there was a vote to come before the Supreme Court, we'd have to have that third one that would vote for life and not for, for death. And I am gripped with this. And I'm like, right, second half of the second term. That's now. That's right now. And yes, we're in the 11th hour, but who knows what can happen? God knows how to raise one up and put one down. He can change. Acts tells us he changes the boundary lines of nations. He moves the boundary lines of the nations. He can put one out and put another one in. And then I begin to get this memory, and I don't know the, the whole story on this, but of this prophetic word of somebody that I respect prophetically. And, and, and the idea was this, that from the nation, the Lord was speaking this to this person. They were having an encounter with the Lord, a, 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 a go-there encounter. And I'm getting the memory of it. And, and I'm in this travail, and these things are going across my mind. And the memory of that word was this, that the Lord said that the cry for change in America was, was greater than the cry for mercy. And so therefore, he would give the people what they asked for. Read between the lines. And I'm going, but the end of that encounter from, from this prophetic woman was, but there's still, there's still time to cry for mercy. I'm having this encounter, and all of a sudden I go, yes, and they're calling up for the 40-day fast from the platform, September 24th, and I go, God, I want that. And all of a sudden I have this impression, the voice of reason begins to speak to me. And it's, you can't do a 40-day fast. That's irresponsible. Calling people to do a 40-day fast, it's irresponsible. Personally, you just came off of one. Who do you think you are? You can't do that. That's wrong. And that impression shifts just like this. And I'm having an impression that I'm at the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord is weighing. Did you listen to the voice of reason? Or did you follow the leading of the Lord? To throw yourself in abandonment into my plan and my will in your generation. And then the question comes again. Did you do everything you could to partner with me for the overturn of abortion in your generation? And I'm going, God, I, I don't know if I can, you know, oh my. But then I realized the voice of reason is not the voice that I'm going to have to give an account to on the day of judgment. I'm going to have to give an account to the Lord. Not to anyone, any human's opinion of me. So I, I, I'm going through this travailing time and I, I'm reminded of this, this dream that, that uh, one of us had about Lou Engel standing on a platform in a public place and he's, he's being accused that the prayers do not matter. And he says, I don't care if they, if they matter or not. I want it to be said of me in my generation that I cried out to the Lord and asked him to do his will in the earth. Regardless of whether or not any prayer ever is, is seen as answered, I want to be one that cries out to the Lord in my generation to see the will of the Lord established in the earth. And that goes across my mind. I'm in this travail, and I'm like, oh, God. And what's happening is this. Lou begins to go into this time. He says, mantles of fasting and prayer are falling right now. People are being pierced through with mantles of fasting and prayer. He goes, something is happening. And I'm cognizant that nothing is going on around me but what's happening to me. I am wailing. And I feel like, just in that moment, I know you've had these, these moments, but I feel like it's like he's talking right to me. He goes, God's raising some up right now as generals and, and leaders in prayer and fasting. Right now it's happening. There's, there's endowments and mantles being released. 
And I am so, I am gripped, I am shaking and wailing. And I don't know how long it goes. It goes 30 or 45 minutes. And I come out of it and I, I look at my wife. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm okay. And I say, uh, baby, I, I think I'm supposed to do that 40-day fast. And she looks, she goes, that seems good to me. See, I have three children, nine, seven, and five. And if, to do a 40-day fast, it's extremely disruptive in our family because you don't eat for 40 days with the family. And it's just challenging because you're weak and your mind is foggy and everything. And I just came out of one. You know, I'm thinking, you know, during that 40-day fast, I'm thinking, hey, I'm not going to do another 40-day fast unless I get an angel. I mean, every time I've done one, I go, okay, uh, God, you're really going to have to speak next time because I'm never doing one of those again. I came out of that thing and I looked at her and I said, I think I, I, think I just got that 40-day fast. I think he just gave it to me. She goes, that seems good to me. That's good. I think that's the Lord. And I realized that right there, it's like we have, this, we have this window. I think we've got a window. Here's what I feel like the Lord's doing. I feel like he's giving us this window of opportunity to get in the way of what the God of justice is trying to release in the earth. I think it's broader than the issue of abortion, but I think the issue of abortion is big. I think the same-sex marriage thing is big, and the overturn of that in California. I think the human trafficking thing is huge. I think the immigration thing is huge right now. And we've got to get what God's mind is on the, uh, the four. Amen. I mean, you know, a lot of us are, you know, carry a card on our political party, but we better find out what the Lord says about these issues and the poor of the earth. And these things are and will be established in the earth. God will release justice just as he wishes. And we have this opportunity to get in on what God's doing as it relates to justice. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm going to call the house of prayer to a 40-day fast beginning September 24th and going to November 2nd. It goes right up to the Sunday before the elections. We're going to cry out for the overturn of abortion. We're going to cry out for the, the breaking of the to perverse spirit. You know, I, I can't think of something that's more unjust than a 5-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 9-year-old. I'm thinking of my children having to be raised in an era in the earth where homosexual marriage is approved of. And they've got to traffic through the mental whatever to try to understand. Now, why is a man marrying a man again, Daddy? My boy is nine years old. My oldest son is nine years old. I've already had the sex talk with him. We've gone in detail on everything. Why? Because I don't want him to get it from the kid on the street from the guy in the neighborhood. I don't want somebody else to fill him in on what homosexuality is. Uh, seriously. If he's going to get that from somebody, it better be from me. And he's nine, and I beat the curve. No one else had really, he, he had some little things in there, here and there. And I said, listen, me and you, I'm your dude when it comes to this. Don't, you don't talk to anyone else about sex stuff. You talk to me. If something's going on, people are talking about it, you can walk away and come talk to me. I said, I'm your dude, right? And he goes, you're my, yeah. You're my dude, Dad. Me too. Yeah, you're my dude. And, and we, we've got an understanding. But why do I have to live in a world that's like this? this? There's something unjust about how that's permeated our society, and we've done nothing with it. And so uh, we're going to call the house to a fast, 40 days, 
for justice, 40 days for the overturn of abortion. We're, we're joining in with a national fast that's in 45 states, something like 1,700 communities. It's called 40 Days for Life. Lou is involved with it. He just did a 40-day fast, and he's getting ready to do another one. Uh, you know, I'd heard that he was doing that, and I said, Lord, one day, wow, it would be cool to be able to do two 40-day fasts. I'd like to be like Lou, too. How cool is that? And God, I was thinking, I'm going to eat chocolate. I'm not going to do another fast. I'm going to eat some pizzas. And God grips me and gives me this thing, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm in. I am in. If we have a chance, we have a chance in our generation let the voice of mercy be, be heard loud from Atlanta. I want Atlanta to bring its portion. If we can just rally a crowd from this little house that we would cry out for mercy in the 11th hour when it's late, when it looks like nothing is going to work, we can cry out for mercy. I, I think, you know what? I think we might be positioned by God's left hand to move us into this little place where he's giving us authority to cry out for these issues. I believe the same-sex marriage thing is going to be broken in California. And I'm dumb enough to go out on the limb and say this. I'm going to believe that God is going to overturn abortion in America and give us a third seed. I believe it. I want to step in with faith. And you know what? At the end of the day, give myself to abandonment in it because for sure one day when Jesus is ruling from Jerusalem, abortion will be outlawed in the city. So for sure I'm on that point, but I'd like to get it earlier. And I want it to be said of me in this generation that I'm giving myself, giving myself to the purposes of the Lord in prayer and fasting. So here I'm shooting for from our community. I'm shooting, and this might be low, but I, you know what? Maybe God will help increase my faith. But I'm shooting for a for hundred people, for real, who will, in the grace of God, not, not by compulsion, not because you got pep rallied up, but by the grace of God, a hundred people who will lean into grace and say yes to fasting and prayer the 24th of September through November 2nd to cry out for the overturn of abortion. I'm believing for a hundred from our community that'll go for it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it on juices. And, uh, and I'm also going to call our community not just to fast food, but to fast media. Fast media. I'm talking about turning off the movies, turning off the, the television shows, all the other sources of entertainment, shutting that voice down to return to the Lord. I think the voice of entertainment has, has so clouded us, our ability to hear from the Lord. I know it has me, and I just go, no. I mean, football season just started. I love football, but guess what? We're going to shut that down and, and just turn to the Lord. Some of us, you know, thinking that we couldn't watch football on Sunday or Saturday, that's like, what do you mean, dude? No, we need to get off of that mentality and get in the face of God. Return and trust in quiet confidence and allow the God of justice to release justice in our generation. Good, let's just stand. Come Holy Spirit. We have about a month. September 24th, it's a, it's a Wednesday. It takes us right through a Sunday. But I, I want to ask, I, I believe that something went into me as it relates to fasting and prayer at the call. And I, I want to ask, if, you'd be, if you're willing to be willing, let's just put you in that category. I want to I I pray for you this morning and ask the Lord 
to release an impartation of grace for fasting and prayer upon us as a community. I'm going to believe God for a hundred that will give themselves fully to fast food and entertainment. Over those 40 days, we'd cry out for mercy. We'd see the God of justice release justice. You know, I don't know how you get to a place where you're doing 40-day fasts six weeks apart. All I know is I believe it's the voice speaking from behind. It's the left hand of God's activity. And I think he's brought us here for such a time as this to let our voices be heard in our generation to cry out for mercy. Come Holy Spirit.